0: Take your Bibles and open up to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. It's good to see everyone back. I didn't know if we were going to get anybody back after last week's sermon. I heard there were a few cars in the parking lot leaving rubber behind. Maybe they were just late to an appointment. But I'm going to pray now and ask the Lord to bless us as we recap a little bit of last week and then get into what Peter says to the husbands. Father, we thank you that you have not left us as those walking through a journey without a map, without instruction, without your spirit, or without your love, without your blood, without your forgiveness, without your power and purpose. And now in Jesus' name, we ask whether you'd anoint your word, you'd anoint our ears, you'd anoint our lives. You would do in us, Lord, and through us what you see fit. Lord, I do believe it is very important right now that Christians settle into the things of God bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, live their lives as living epistles in a world gone mad, a world that is confused. And so today, Lord, as we get into your word, would you give us illumination, application, and instruction? Lord, forgive us and make us those students who willingly receive, Lord, and obey. I pray for your mercies, Lord, as teacher today, Lord, please anoint me and bless, Lord, our ears to hear and to receive what you have. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said? Last week I began in verse 1 and I read all the way to verse 7 because I wanted you to get the context of Peter's words to wives and husbands. If you're a student of 1 Peter, you know he's not just talking to wives and husbands, but he's also talking to servants and to masters and to citizens and to kings and to presidents. And he's talking to everybody about two S words, submission and serving. How many of you guys love to serve and to be in submission? Raise your up your hands super tall, okay? Okay, three of you. The rest of you are rebels, and I understand. We don't naturally want to submit or serve, and so Jesus gives us a model himself as he came to the world, but he also gives us instruction through his word, not just to husbands, not just to wives, but to kids, to parents, to employers, to employees, to citizens, to kings, to rulers, and to also, he throws in his actual son, Jesus Christ. And he uses Jesus as a proof text. He said, like Jesus He came to serve and not be served and to give himself a ransom for many. He came to submit to the Father's will and to serve humanity. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to his disciples one day as they were arguing, who gets to be the greatest in the world? He's like, really, you want to be the greatest? And instead of rebuking them, Jesus instructed them. He said, oh, you want to be the greatest? Cool. I want you to be the greatest too. (laughs) Well, cool. (laughs) I I knew you saw potential in me, Lord. He's like, here's what I want you to do to be the greatest though. I want you to become the servant of all. Everybody can be great. Doesn't matter about the giftings you have. Doesn't matter about the gender you have. You become a servant of all. But you can also miss greatness if you don't serve, if you don't submit. And so let us read verses 1 through 7 again, and we're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about into to the husbands, because I promised you guys I wouldn't. Isn't it awesome that the husband's message came on Super Bowl Sunday? Isn't that rad? Super Bowl Sunday is statistically the least attended service of all Sundays by husbands, and I kind of put that together so most of you husbands aren't here today. Just kidding. You're all here. You guys are South Beach Church is not statistical, man. We are We are different than most churches. Here's what it says in verses 1 through 7. It says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, uh, ranging the hair and wearing gold or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious precious in the sight of God for in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror husbands Likewise, dwell with them, that is wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. And the first thing we learned last week is that a text taken out of context is no longer a text, it's just a con. And when you take a text outside of what it is intended to have, you can then manipulate it and tell people and lead people where God never intended them to go. And so I want you guys to see this, husbands and wives, in context. Now, the context is Peter writing to the early church, knowing that they're undergoing persecution and pressure and problems. And you, who have been under persecution, pressure, and problems, know that you have a temptation then to act like a fool. Has anybody ever been under pressure, temptation, and problems, and then done stupid stuff? Raise your hand if you've done stupid stuff. Raise your hand if you got a PO out of the deal, parole officer. How how, how bad was it for you? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I know this is the 9 a.m. service, but some of y'all snuck in. I get it. <laughs> And so Peter here says, hey, just because it's tough doesn't mean you get to cast off restraint. The Bible actually says that if you don't have vision, if you don't know what's going on, you will cast off restraint. You'll start giving yourself a hall pass. You'll start doing foolish stuff. So Paul and Peter and James and John and Jesus give us the instructions of the Word of God in order that we would find ourselves instructed and not just making stuff up. So last week we talked about the wives, and let's just be honest. In the Bible, in the Old Testament and New Testament, a lot of what is written is geared towards husbands and towards men, towards leaders, but the Bible changed everything when it started to also address and include women. That wasn't the case in the first century and before. Women weren't elevated, they weren't appreciated, they weren't poured into and developed and discipled and cultivated and put into areas of service. Jesus comes along the scene and says, "Now we're going to change all that. I created men and women equally in my mind and in my eyes and in my image. Now you guys all understand that women and men are equal, right? But they're not the same. Have you guys seen this before? <laughs> I just want to make sure you guys understand. They're e- this is a mystery. Okay. They're equal in God's eyes, but they're not the same. See, right now the world is on this quest for sameness, that everything is the same, that we're all equal in sameness. And that's just absolutely insane. That's not true at all. And God has made men and women equal in his image, but very different and diverse with qualities and with details that he wants to enjoy and to elevate instead of to minimize and to blur. Let me just say something though. I'm glad that Peter gives the men a specific dose of instruction as it pertains to their marriages because the men oftentimes in cultures like this would get hall passes to live their lives however they wanted. And while Peter addressed the women, we saw that in verses one through six, he tells the husbands also, this is how you are to live. If indeed you're a Christian in this culture, you're gonna be counter cultural in the way you serve and love your wives, in the way you serve and love your husbands, if indeed you are a wife. Let me just write this down, or I'm gonna ask you guys to write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, God gives instructions and prescriptions for equipping and edifying. Write that down. He gives us instructions and equipping. He gives us prescriptions in order that we might be edified for the work of the ministry. 2 Timothy 3.16, I want you guys to see it on the screen. Dave's going to put it up in just a minute. I'll read it to you. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I want to drive this kind of foundational point home at the beginning of the sermon here is that God tells us what to do so that way we know what to do and don't have to make up what we do. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're married or you're single, whether you're free or in the Bible's terms, a slave, whether you're an employer or an employee, whether you're a kid or a parent, he tells us exactly what to do, how to think, and where to go. He gives us instruction and so we don't have to make stuff up. Now, let me just get your attention real quick. Because the second point I want you guys to consider is that the Bible is clear while the world is confused. And we live in 2021. It is getting crazier and weirder. And if you're a university student or planning on going into the workforce or going out and exploring the world, you're going to be confronted with crazy ideas. And yet the Bible is not clear. Or should I say this? The Bible's not confused, but it is clear. God's given to us prescriptions and he's given to us instructions. The Bible says in Romans chapter one, write this down if you're a note taker and read it later. I was gonna read the entirety of Romans chapter one, verses 17 through the end, but I'm just gonna summarize it. What Paul says to the Romans, he says, there is a bunch of people in the world that know the truth of God, yet suppress it and ignore it, do their own thing and bring about in their lives the penalty of their folly. Romans chapter one, I read it last night, it was so intense. People who hear what God has to say they don't want what God has to say. They suppress the truth. And they do it their own way. And they suffer pain and penalty. I've already had you guys raise your hand a few times, but have you guys ever suppressed the truth and done it your own way and suffered pain and penalty? Raise your hand again. Okay, your hands are going to get tired today, man. So, man, I have suppressed the truth. I've known what God says to do. So, ah, I'm just going to try it my way for a minute. And I'm so glad you guys are here with us because we went over a principle last Sunday and, and a lot of Sundays I, I, I use this phrase which is God said it that settles it or I believe it and that settles it and when you get into that mindset of bible study and what he says or even in your walk with the spirit I've been at times in my life praying with the Lord and asked him for direction and instruction and I felt the Lord tell me to do one thing or another. And sometimes he'll tell me to do something I don't want to do. Has that what happened to you? Like, quit this job or end that relationship or move to this place or do you Can I just encourage you? Father knows best. When the Lord speaks to you through his word, through his spirit, through his bride, through his body, when the Lord instructs you, trust him because God knows what he's doing. And so Peter gives instruction, prescription, and direction for wives and husbands. What he's showing is that God's original plan is for men and women. As a matter of fact, Genesis 2, I'm going to say some controversial stuff today because I want to offend everyone equally, so I'm going to do my best to kind of just offend across the board. In Genesis 2, we see the creation of man and woman. Genesis 2 comes before Genesis 3. Write that down in your notes, that super smarty pants stuff right there. (laughs) In Genesis three, we see sin enter the world and all kinds of corruption and chaos and sin and and compromise and folly and penalty and pain, all kinds of stuff, everything. In Genesis chapter four, we see the first murder. Cain kills Abel, it's just horrible. But in Genesis two, everything is perfect. And God says, here's my perfect world. One man, one woman come together in marriage. God identifies clearly in Genesis two, there are two genders, okay? There's not, not more than that in God's perfect economy. And in his perfect economy, one woman and one man come together. They leave their father and mother and cleave to one another. This is God's perfect union. So here we are in Peter's day, 5,000 years later. Here we are in our day, 7,000 years later, and there's all kinds of weirdness being uh, presented and being presumed and all kinds of things being pontificated. The reality is God says, this is what I have designed on purpose. And it's in Genesis two. Some people would argue and say, Luke, that's the Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. Jesus was actually quizzed in Mark chapter 10. I'll read it to you. In Mark chapter 10, they asked Jesus about marriage and divorce. And Jesus said in Mark 10, 6, he said, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. I'm not a math major, but that's Two genders. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And so God's design for humanity is seen in not only the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. And then Paul said something in his letter to the Ephesians. He said marriage, what we're talking about today in relationships, God's design is a mystery because it's actually a picture. It's a description. It's a symbol of heaven. And there are some times in this life where you just have to trust the Lord. And he says, it's hard to understand. It's difficult. I know you have an opinion. I know you're arguing. I know they say something different, but can you just trust me? Hey, parents, have you ever had to explain something to your kids before and you're trying your best to explain it and eventually you get frustrated and you say, just trust me, you know. That's you as a parent frustrated. God doesn't say, just trust me, you know, not in frustration and panic, but he does ask you, can you trust me? Can you just trust me? Trust me, I know what I'm doing. I love the fact that God declares that we only see through a glass dimly, because that's kind of how I feel like my life is. I don't really know, what, I don't. I have enough, so I'm not walking blind, but I've also got some questions too, but I've got enough, so I'm not walking blind. And God declares to you and to me, this is what he has for marriage. This is what he has for men and women, which is the perfect Super Bowl message. I'm really excited about preaching this one today. This is super fun. It sounds like a, a, a fun lesson to teach. He says, likewise, Okay, everyone gets their own instructions. Look at verse uh, seven. It says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life. That's your prayers may not be hindered. He says husbands likewise in verse one of chapter three, he says wives likewise. And what he's doing is he's connecting this to the previous examples that he's presented to us, which is submission to masters, citizens to kings, Jesus to the cross. And he's saying everyone gets an opportunity to serve and to give themselves over to somebody else. Can I just tell you right now, I already mentioned this in the beginning that Jesus quoted this of himself, Mark ten forty five. maybe that verse will go up on the screen. Jesus said in Mark ten forty five, the son of man came not to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many jesus was with the disciples they wanted to be served jesus had to show them time and time again even to the last day that he was on earth as he washed their feet you see naturally speaking we don't want to serve others we want to be served And in any relationship, whether you're single, whether you're male, whether you're female, husband or wife, God has intended you to become greater as you live by serving other people for their benefit and for God's glory. If you've been married for longer than 10 minutes, you know how selfish you are. I remember when I got engaged. It was actually on Valentine's Day. So next week will be our 20-year anniversary of our engagement. And we were in Honduras, and I was in Honduras, and I just got engaged to Crystal the night before. And there were two other guys that were married on this trip, Jeremy Haskell and another guy. Uh, I can't remember his name right now, but they were both so in my mind. These guys I looked to in order to follow, and they were both talking about marriage the next morning to each other. And as they were talking to each other, they said, "Man, one thing I've learned in marriage, and they'd only been married one or two years, is how selfish they." were. Once I realized that these two guys who I respected and was following after were selfish, I realized I was in a lot of trouble. (laughs) See, marriage is designed not only to fulfill you and to grow you, but also to expose you. It's designed to give you an opportunity to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, while you change. And as I mentioned, if you've been married for Any amount of time you've seen how things can drastically change from your engagement to your marriage to ultimately your counseling that you need to go into. It reminds me of the seven-year cold. Have you guys ever heard about the seven-year married cold? I'm just going to read it to you. Here's how it goes. The first year, the husband says to his wife, sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle and there's no telling about these things with the strep going around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and a good rest. I know the food is lousy there, so I'll be bringing you food from Tosini's. I've already got it all arranged with the floor superintendent. That's year one of marriage. Second year. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've called the doctor and he's gonna rush over here right now. So go to bed like a good little girl, just for Papa. Third year. Maybe you better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something. Do we have any canned soup? Fourth year. Now look, dear, be sensible. After you've fed the kids, washed the dishes, and finished vacuuming, you better lie down. (laughs) Fifth year, don't we have any aspirin? (laughs) Sixth year cold, if you just gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal. (laughs) Seventh year cold, for Pete's sake, stop sneezing. You trying to give me pneumonia? (laughs) You laugh because you know it's true. And peter gives instructions to both men and women and what i want to point out first here is that husbands likewise dwell with them this is a mutual agreement that we are going to receive our marching orders listen independent of the people we're linked to in other words if god tells you to do something as a man or a woman it's not predicated upon the obedience of your spouse it's not a 50 50 relationship if your husband gets his act together then i'll finally submit to him and if my wife finally starts to submit to me i will love her and care for her that's not what it's saying it's saying husbands do this wives do this regardless of the person you're married to and their response matter of fact if you study 1 corinthians 13 it's the love chapter in 1 corinthians 13 it describes the attributes of love and my favorite attribute of love is in verse eight of 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, love never fails. And I always encourage couples when they're struggling, when they're going through issues, when things aren't going right, when you're an employer or an employee, or you're a citizen, or you're a neighbor or a man or woman, you know, what'll never fail, love. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> you know. Have you loved them? Well, not yet, you know, not until they get their act together. Love covers a multitude of sins, love keeps no record of wrong, love never fails. And so what he's saying to husbands here is, husbands, man, this is your instruction now. Don't wait for your wife to get it together and husbands, or wives, don't wait for your husbands to get it together. Instead, as unto the Lord, follow your instructions and do what God has asked you to do. Let's look at these uh, attributes. There's seven different attributes he gives to the husbands to follow. So take notes, especially you wives, because your husband might not be taking notes. You want him to see these on the coffee table later this week. Uh, first thing it says is, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. And I've got that word dwell circled. I think it's an important word. It's the only time in the entire New Testament that this word dwell is used. First Peter is the only author of the New Testament who uses this word. And the idea there is to actually live on purpose intentionally with the people you're around, to dwell, to actually be there, to be present and to be available and to be intentional with the folks you're around now here's one of the generalizations that sometimes men fall into as husbands and leaders and fathers is they work hard they provide they set everything up they do everything they can and once they've done everything they can to make sure that the bills are paid and the roof is over the house and the car is working they've done all that work they come home and they turn on the tv and sit in front of it for three or four hours and they're unavailable to the rest of the family Maybe even a husband would come home and he doesn't watch TV, but he goes in the garage and he tinkers around or he's got all these hobbies and he's not there intentionally with his family. This word dwell says, no, no, you're to be there for your family, not just providing for their needs and making sure things are taken care of, but you need to help out raising the family, be there intentionally with the wife and kids. This is a conviction to me because I know that my kids, I give myself, I run around and I solve all kinds of other people's problems and in the ministry, I'm going around traveling and helping other people and I can come home and ah, finally, I don't have to talk to anybody. And yet the Lord says to me, he says, no, I want you to dwell. This would be completely, again, this is First Peter, first century. This is to a group of men who were not caring for their wives any more than property value. And Peter says to them, no, no, dwell with them Dwell with him, be present. He goes, he goes on to say, with understanding. That's an important word. It's actually the same word that Peter would use in the very last sentence of his last epistle where he said, now grow in the grace and knowledge or understanding of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Stop right there, Eyes up here. Right. Peter ends his second letter and he says, now what I want you to do the rest of your life is to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. How many of you guys have made that your life goal? I want to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. I just wanna grow in understanding and I wanna get to know Jesus better. I wanna spend every day, every week, every month, every year, every decade, every time I'm alive to grow near to Jesus. I'm not always perfect, but that's my goal. That's my number one goal to know Jesus. And he uses the same word for husbands and wives. He says dwell with them with understanding. Get to know your wife. Live there and have that be not just your goal to get married. How many of you guys remember the goal to get married when you were single? I'ma get this girl and you went to great lengths to make sure that girl knew you, make sure that she saw you, you found yourself crossing her path, you would go to her place of business, you would stalk her house, we can't do that anymore, it's illegal now, but you would do things, you know, make sure this girl sees you, and then you get her, and the temptation is, to not invest in that same energy of knowing and understanding. So Peter instructs them, dwell with them with understanding. Now it doesn't have to be that big a deal. Some of you guys think this is a big deal to get to know your wife. Matter of fact, they just released the first volume uh, on women. Go ahead and show that to us, Dave. This is available at your local library. Uh, Here it is. This is How to Understand Women, Volume One. So it's actually, it's not that hard (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? Am I in trouble now? Where's my wife at? it actually reminds me you can take that down reminds me of the man who found that bottle with the genie you know and his genie came out and this man got one wish and so the man told the genie he said you know what i want i want to go to hawaii i've always wanted to go to the islands but i can't fly because i'm afraid of flying and i can't go by boat because i get seasick so i want to go to this island so what i want you to do genie is to build me a bridge to hawaii from the mainland now the genie got all frustrated and said, are you for real? Do you know how much infrastructure that's gonna take and concrete and rebar and that's just, that's an incredible, it's an insane wish. Wish for something easier. So the man said, well, okay, I understand. You know, you know what? I've always wanted to understand women. And so the genie looked at him and said, do you want that bridge two lanes or four? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I got more, but I'm not gonna say it. As I really think the Holy Spirit through Peter is onto something. Husbands and wives are drastically different. And maybe you're here this morning, you're not married. You could still learn so much to appreciate the opposite sex, men and women, to appreciate one another, to see each other as fearfully and wonderfully made. When I'm doing premarital counseling, I often use marriage and I compare it to owning a mine, a gold mine. And if somebody gave you the rights to a gold mine, that would be pretty cool. Maybe you get a letter in the mail, you inherited a gold mine. Whoa! And, and yet I would ask that person shortly thereafter, do you have any gold? No, not, not yet. Because you haven't taken advantage of the wealth that God has given to you in that gold mine. And so too with marriage, so too with husbands and wives, there is an opportunity to dwell with one another with understanding, to learn who your spouse is, to appreciate them and to grow, to receive from them. You see, God has invested himself equally and differently in men and in women. And when he brings us together, Ecclesiastes, the writer is Solomon, Ecclesiastes tells us that two are better than one. And it tells us that a threefold cord is not easily broken, but that Jesus in between us is a strength that cannot fail. Now, it doesn't have to be super heavy, okay? I remember one time when we were first married, Crystal and I we were excited about being married, and I remember one time she was in the bathroom coming into the, lo- the bedroom, and I just thought to myself, I'm gonna scare the lights out of her, okay? This is gonna be awesome. And so I hid behind the door, she came around the corner, I, rah, you know, and scared her, and I quickly realized she didn't like that. <laughs> she didn't like that at all. <sighs> oh, man, I was in big trouble. was funny to me until I was in big trouble, then it wasn't funny to anybody. And so I had to learn something. And was just a couple weeks later, I found myself in the bedroom again and an opportunity arose, she was coming down the hallway. And so I jumped there to scare her again. And I realized, wait a minute, she doesn't like to be scared. And so I hid in the closet like this because <laughs> it was too late. And so I'm hiding like that. She comes around the corner and I'm just still like this. And she saw me, and got scared again. She said, that's even worse, you know, <laughs> creepy murderer kind of deal, you know. And so I learned that now we got three kids and we actually have a pretty healthy scare culture at the Frechette house. Like we love to scare each other and we hide under couches and blankets and closets for, for hours. The bathrooms will be hiding, just waiting. Everybody participates in the scare culture, but there's one person in our house that nobody scares. Okay. And it's Crystal. Crystal gets to scare whoever she wants. It's awesome. But it's just one of those it doesn't have to be super heavy, but you learn and appreciate things about one another. As a matter of fact, one person that I was reading from this week said in his premarital counseling, he would often take couples and he would give them each a piece of paper, husband and wife, to be, and he would say, write three things down about this person you're engaged to that they love to do. And he said, without a doubt, without any, without fail, that women would write down three things that their fiance loves to do and they would be done and, and turn it in and the husbands would be sitting there listening, thinking. <laughs> Oh, man, that's a tough one, you know? And inevitably, they would finally jot some stuff down and the wife would look at them, why (laughs) did I like to do any of these things? Bass fishing, hunting, you know, what? Cleaning elk, you know? And (laughs) dwell with them with understanding. Okay, what this literally means is, and this is for you husbands, I want you guys to pay attention. It means for you guys to live with an attitude of empathy, consideration, compassion. Asking yourself, "What's it like to be my wife? What's it like to go through what she's going through? What is my wife going through?" There's a proverb that says, "Be diligent to know the state of your flocks." Whenever I read that in my weekly, monthly routine through the proverbs, I always think about my wife, my kids, and my church. I don't have sheep, I don't have flocks, I don't have things like that, but I do have people that I'm in charge of, and my wife is number one. How's she doing? she doing okay? What's she going through? We homeschool the kids. How's that going for my wife? Is that still sustainable? Is that okay? How can I help? How, how's her health? How's her physical health? How's her spiritual health? How's her emotional health? How's her extended family going? How's her friends? How's, how's everything going on in my wife's life? And those are questions that husbands don't naturally ask themselves. So Peter puts it as word. Dwell with them with understanding, with knowledge. What's my wife carrying right now? She's stressed out, she's suffering. Maybe even a good question would be to ask, what's it like to be married to me? Then instantly go into prayer. (laughs) I pray for my wife all the time. Lord, help my wife. Lord, help my wife's husband. That's me, you know. (laughs) The word here is gnosis, understanding. And it's an ontological, intellectual, real knowledge of who your wife is. Now, again, when we're engaged, when we're in love and when we're pursuing one another we pay attention we look into we care for we get concerned but so often husbands set down that pursuit shortly after they're married and i want to just encourage you guys that god has asked us instructed us husbands to dwell with our wives with understanding he goes on to say giving honor to her let's look at verse seven again husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife I love going through this portion of scripture with couples in premarital counseling, because there are some differences between husbands and wives that cannot be necessarily celebrated in the world's eyes. But Peter says, I want you to celebrate the fact that your wife is different than you. He says specifically giving honor to her as the weaker vessel. And what I believe he means by weaker, at least in the context of that Greek word, is that physically she's not as strong as you. That's just the way it is. And so what I want you to do, husbands, is not be tempted to use your strength to dominate her, but instead to identify that you are stronger than her. And so in that, honor her, elevate her, protect her. I use the simplest illustration of my Bible and my iPhone. They're two separate devices. Both of them have the Bible on them. They're both here. And I treat my iPhone very differently than I treat my Bible. This has a snap right here. I throw it in my backpack and it can drop around. My iPhone has a cover on it. It's got a computer in it. It's more sensitive. It's weaker, if you would. It's more sophisticated. And instead of that being a bummer or a drag, Peter says, honor your wife. And she's different than you. Way different than you. You watch a comedy, she starts crying. You're laughing, man. She reacts differently. She processes differently than you. And I want you, instead of putting up with that, I want you to honor her as the weaker vessel. This doesn't mean she's inferior. doesn't mean you're superior. doesn't mean that she doesn't have qualities and isn't spiritual. It has nothing to do with any of it. But there is a difference that is to be honored. One of the best ways to honor your wife, husband, is to ask her, What honors you? Wouldn't that be a rad homework assignment? What honors you? Last week I recommended five different books on marriage. One of them was the five Lang- uh, languages of love the five love languages and if you're not familiar with the five love languages the premise there by Gary Chapman is that every single person has two primary love languages that they speak it's how they respect and respond to others in their love and there's physical touch there's words of affirmation there's acts of service there's quality time there's one more I can't remember it's probably my wife's and uh you know <laughs> that's funny and there's uh, there's other uh, things that w- words of affirmation I already say that and there's these love languages and the idea there is if you speak two languages which is which is physical touch which is his premise and you speak those love languages to your wife but those aren't her primary love languages it'd be like speaking a foreign language to her and so instead what you ought to do is learn her language and speak that language to her asking her what honors you i'll give you a few things to write down the honor your wives spiritually okay Husbands are to be the spiritual leader in the house. They're the head of the home. Make sure everyone in the house has a Bible. Make sure you're leading in prayer. Make sure you're leading in family devotions. Make 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 sure you're setting the tone. Husbands, make sure you're picking a church and going to that church. Don't put that on your wife. Statistically speaking, there are wives that attend church, husbands stay home, husbands don't go to church, eventually the kids grow up to not go to church because they realize that my dad didn't go to church. All of these statistics break down. Peter says, no, no, I want you to honor your wife, and I would say honor her spiritually. (sighs) Ask questions. How's everyone doing? Bring spiritual content to the dinner table. Lead in that way. Not just honor them spiritually, but honor your wives emotionally. Ask them how they're doing, and then listen to them when they're talking. (laughs) You ever ask your wife how she's doing and then you go right to your phone and stop listening? Don't do that. Honor your wives emotionally and communicate how you're doing, be present understand that that's a process that they appreciate. As a matter of fact, my dad shared this with me years and years ago. I'll share it with you guys now. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter five, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It goes on to say, husbands, wash your wives in the water of the word. You guys read this before husbands? (laughs) The word for word there is not logos, which is the biblical word for word, which means Bible study time, husbands and wives Bible study time. It says instead, the word there is rhema, which is spoken word. And what Paul says to husbands is, for husbands, wash your wives in the water of the word. In other words, talk to her. It's a spoken word. Don't just sit there and read the Bible to her, you should do that too. Read the Bible with, Bible study is great. What God has designed women to do, created women to do is to talk and to be emotional beings in that way. And the way your wife gets strengthened, cleansed and instructed and put together in that way, emotionally and spiritually is through talking together. Honor them physically, He says that the wife is the weaker vessel. And so literally what he's saying is, is make sure that you honor her in that way. Don't bully her. Don't intimidate her. Don't, don't, don't domineer her in that way. But instead you be the one that protects her. Honor them financially. Husbands, make sure that you're taking care of what needs to be taken care of at the house. That's your responsibility. Make sure that she has a car that works and dishwasher that works and a, a thing that works and that you don't have all the toys. I've been to people's houses before. we in the garage. They got all the toys for the husband and the bass boat and the, the lawn material. He's got a truck and then the wife doesn't have everything together. Make sure you're honoring your spouse financially. Honor them verbally. Don't raise your voice. Protect your spouse. Don't call names, make fun of. Don't, don't cuss at them, no jokes. Make sure that you're using your words to build them up. And lastly, I would say, honor your wives parentally. There's a lot of other things we could put in there, but make sure you're raising the kids together, that you're a team. You've seen this before where kids divide and conquer against mom and dad. Kids figure out who the fun one is, and oftentimes it becomes dad because mom's with the kids and laying down the law, and dad's always the fun one. Don't do that. You've seen kids before get put down by mom or shut down by mom, and they'll go to dad, hey, dad, can we do this? And dad's like, yeah, of course we can have ice cream for dinner, woo you know mom said we can't okay then your mom's right you know make sure you're unified and honoring them in that way he says husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and again i just want to point out he uses the word weaker vessel vessel is a term in those days that would be used to hold something of worth and of value Everyone in here holds something of worth and value, and it's called the Holy Spirit. It's called God. We're the temple of God. Husbands and wives, male and female. Male and female are not the same, though, in makeup. One illustration I heard is that men are kind of like a clunky AW and w mug root beer. Just kind of a mug, just kind of, you know, I could drop it on the floor, and it would probably hurt the floor more than it would the mug, and it's not that big a deal. I can throw it in the back of my car, and it rolls around, where women are often like a fine glass, a goblet, like a wine glass. And you would treat that vessel of honor differently than you would a kind of thick and unruly A&W mug. And I like that illustration. Men and women are equal, but they are different. He goes on. And he says to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. These last two points that he are, we are equal heirs of the grace of life shows us that Peter believes and teaches that men and women are indeed equal in the sight of God. There is this desire, there is this campaign for equality right now, and the Bible beats everyone to it and says, you guys are co-heirs of the grace of life. That while you're different in God's economy in the way that he created you, you are absolutely equal in the inheritance that God has for you. Now, when you treat your wife the same as you want to be treated, you're actually treating yourself good. When you treat your wife bad or you treat your husband bad, you're treating yourself bad because it's a shared account. Paul would say that if you love your wife, you're really loving yourself. Equal heirs of the grace of life. Some uh, couples I've counseled with before don't have joint accounts, so they have separate accounts. And I always like to use an illustration say, if your wife inherited $100,000 and you inherited $10,000, wouldn't you like to have equal accounts? Wouldn't you like to have joint, account, joint heirs? And he says right here, you guys are joint heirs of the grace of life. And the last point is this before we wrap it up today, and get on with the rest of the afternoon. It says, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. What I'm about to say may be controversial, but I think it also may be very important for every single person here to hear. Peter says something inspired by the Holy Spirit that if you don't do all of these things, husbands and wives and masters and servants and citizens and employers and parents and and all, if you don't do these things, your prayers might not be answered. This could mean a couple different things. It could mean husbands, if you're not loving your wife and not dwelling with her understanding, your prayers aren't going to be answered, number one, because you're just not praying. You ever found yourself walking in sin, hardness of heart, selfishness of spirit, and you're just not a prayer person? You have no prayers going up. Your prayers aren't going to be answered because you're not even praying. You got to ask yourself, are you praying right now? And if your heart is hard towards God or towards his kingdom, you're not praying. Second thought is, is that your prayers are actually hitting the ceiling. God looks at your life, and there's not any any pleasure in what he sees, and so your prayers aren't being answered. I would simply put it this way, though, that if you're not doing what God has asked you to do in your life as a husband or a wife, that not only will your prayers not be answered, but your life won't be fulfilled. That the ministry that God has called you to won't be where he wants it to be that God can't bless you outside because if it doesn't work at home, it doesn't work. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. The average divorce rate right now in Christian homes is 50%. To me, I'm like, it can't be that way. That doesn't make sense aren't we trying to follow God and do what he says to do? And evidently that's not always the case because we're not seeking first the kingdom of God in our homes. And if you're not making your home life a priority, that's where you need to start today and you need to repent and say, I'm going, as me as for me and my house, I'm, we're going to serve the Lord and I'm gonna make it a point to serve my wife, to serve my kids and to be the husband or the wife that God has called me to be. Otherwise your prayers just aren't gonna be answered the anointing you need, the ministry you're trying to walk in, the fulfillment and the strength that you're striving for will not be yours to have. I'll use an illustration. Imagine my daughter, Acacia, she's nine now, but if she gets married when she's 40 or 50, it's a big if, good luck. Anyways, if she gets married and then her husband comes and approaches me one day and says, I'd like to bless your daughter can you help me? My instant reaction is gonna be, what do you wanna? Yeah, absolutely, let's do it. Let's bless Acacia, said, that's my daughter. That's my, that's my daughter. But what if a man came to me and said, you know what, I'm married to your daughter and I, just, I don't really wanna respect her, care for her, dwell with her with understanding. I actually like to hurt her, would you help me hurt her? I may end up killing that man. And there are husbands right now that are not honoring God's daughters as God's daughters, trying to bless them and serve them and trying to step out in ministry and ask God for favor. And he's saying, You're not helping my daughter. Every woman, before she becomes a wife, is a daughter of God. And God sees women, every woman whether it's your wife or somebody else's wife or a single gal. And as men look at other women and wives and your wife, those are God's daughters. And I believe what he's saying here is, is if you don't treat God's daughters as special, as honoring them, then you're going to suffer in your ministry. You're going to suffer in your anointing. You're going to suffer in your prayers. You're going to suffer in your life because God cannot bless you because you are a hindrance to him and his design. I'm praying for some husband here to say, whoa, that's it. That's it. That's what I need to do till the day I die is to love my wife To respect my wife to honor my wife to value my wife to be about my kids to be about my family and i guarantee you you watch and see if you do that as unto the lord wives if you submit to your husbands and serve and respect as unto the lord citizens if you look at our world around us and say i'm going to do what god has asked me to do as unto the lord I'm gonna suffer in service unto the Lord. I'm gonna do this, I guarantee you, you will be the most fulfilled, most anointed, most prolific and powerful person you know. But it takes a choice to not suppress the truth. It takes an action to not cave into your flesh but to follow Jesus who said, the son of man came to serve and not be served and to give his life a ransom for many. Guys, this is is imperative in the day that we live that as men and women and as children of God, we look to his word and allow him to do in us what he's asked us to do. I'm gonna ask you guys to bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you have not left us as orphans, but instead you've given to us instruction. Lord, and I pray in Jesus' name for my friends that have gathered here, Lord, the ones that are showing up to the next service, Lord, as we go about our Super Bowl parties or go home to be with our families, that in Jesus' name, Lord, you would search our hearts, that, Lord, you would give us your spirit. And before we close the service, maybe there would be a husband. Let me talk to the husbands first. There would be a husband here who would say, I want to live my life as God has asked me to live my life. I want to dwell with my wife with understanding, giving honor to her as the weaker vessel. I want to uh, repent and adjust in my approach and in my stance and in my position. Would you, husband, would you just raise your hand if you need help in that area? You want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ in your name. Just raise up your hands, Lord. You see the husbands. My hand is up too, Lord. I repent. Lord, it's not that hard, actually. It's not even embarrassing. I repent, Lord. I know I'm a doofus. And in Jesus' name, Lord, you give me desire, Lord, and energy to love crystals, to love my kids, Lord, to love my family the way you want me to love them. I trust you, Lord. You can put your hands down. And I want to also pray for the wives, Maybe you're a, a wife here and things are, are just, they are not, not the way you thought they'd be. You're stressed out. Things are tense at home. Levels of unfulfillment challenge, but you would say, Lord, I want to do what you've asked me to do as unto the Lord. Would you just raise your hands wise if you need help to be a biblical wife? To be a biblical mom, raise up your hand, Lord. You see the ladies raising their hands at home and the men that are here, Lord. We raise our hands together and we thank you, Jesus, that we can trust you, we can look to you. You can put your hands down. Lord, would you help us to do this for your glory and for others' good? Help us not to make up our own path, but it said, convict us. and Make us like those men and women, Lord, who serve a higher calling. We thank you for all you've done, all you're doing, Lord. Continue to use us for your glory, Lord. Help us have a good day today. Keep our minds right, Lord, and keep our attention on you. We love you. Thank you for the kids being here too, Lord, and all you've done in 2020 and 2021, Lord. We continue to look to you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.